Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. Morning, Grant Memorial. And a very uh, happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. Uh, we certainly have much to be thankful for, don't we, church? I uh, couldn't help but think a lot about uh, our circumstance um, last night after kind of thinking through what is happening all around the world in so many different places. An earthquake in Afghanistan, significant turmoil and fighting in Israel and Palestine, and man, to be able to put my head down on uh, a comfortable bed at night and not worry um, that, that, uh, that tomorrow was, was coming for me uh, is something that I, I don't want myself or, or us to ever take for granted. We do have so much to be thankful for here well, my name is Cam, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grant, and I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Scriptures to Genesis chapter 13 as we continue to walk through the life and calling of Abram. And we're going to start, actually, we're going to read the whole chapter, uh, chapter 13, starting at verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives." Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted." Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray uh, that we would be changed this morning as a result of encountering it and you this morning. Amen. 
Who here has made a terrible mistake? And, and by that, I don't mean coming here this morning, right? I've made a terrible mistake. How many of us have done something in our lives that we wish we could take back, right? That, that we would do over differently if we had the chance. Now, I anticipate that while we may have all varying degrees of regret, that every one of us has proven to be imperfect, and we all know what it feels like to live within the consequences of our own poor decisions, of our own worst moments. Well, last week, we had the opportunity to witness Abram at his worst, making decisions that I'm sure he would take back if he could in hindsight. And his poor decisions for those who need to be brought up to speed from last week include, but are not limited to, he stopped listening to God, he stopped believing God's promises, he stopped worshiping God, he turned from God and put his trust in man, hoping that Egypt would save him. He designed and implemented a deceptive plan meant to protect himself as well as exploit the Egyptian people. And as a result of all of his lies, his wife was taken into Pharaoh's household where she would have lived out the rest of her days if it hadn't been for God inflicting the people within Pharaoh's household with diseases before finally Pharaoh kicked him out of Egypt, humiliating Abram and sending him sheepishly where he came from. Well, this is where our text picks up this morning. As Abram and his entourage leave Egypt, traveling roughly 700 kilometers back to Canaan by foot, which I think would give Abram plenty of time to think about his mistakes. Verse 1, 3, and 4. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. And so what we see here as they travel out of Egypt back to Canaan is that Abram is retracing his steps both literally and figuratively. You see, geographically, Abram's route here is the mirror opposite of his original journey out of Canaan. Right? When he left Canaan, he had traveled out of Bethel into the Negev desert and on towards Egypt. And here we see him traveling the exact same journey, just going the other way from Egypt through the Negev and back into Bethel. And if you can't tell the difference between those two maps, uh, the only difference is the way that the arrow is going. And we also see spiritually a retracing of steps as well. Uh, do you remember last week what the phrase going down to Egypt represented figuratively in the scriptures? It represents a turning from God and putting trust in the world. Well, the, the same expression is offered here in the other direction in verse 1. So Abram, it says, went up from Egypt. In the, in the same way that going down to Egypt told us a little bit about Abram's spiritual state, his going up from Egypt also indicates a shift or perhaps a recalibration of sorts as Abram turns back to God. You see, God uses this experience in Egypt to draw Abram back to himself. And while it may have been 
uh, in a tail-between-his-legs kind of way, or in part due to a lack of anywhere else to turn, Abram nevertheless turns back to God and replaces his trust in the one who has remained steady the whole time. And friends, this alone could be the entire content of our conversation today. That we have a God who invites us to repent. Now, how many people have heard that word before, repent? On a related note, why do things just get uncomfortable in here? Well, unfortunately, it's because the word repent has negative connotations in our culture today and even within the church, right? As it's often associated with fire and brimstone preachers who demand repentance as some sort of judgment or condemnation for the evils in those that they are preaching to, right? The implication for many uh, when they hear the word repent is that someone is pronouncing judgment, saying that they are bad, that they need to change and be more like the one with the megaphone or they will burn in hell, right? That's how the word repent is thought of today. It's a bad word in our culture that respectful people don't use. But friends, this couldn't be further from the truth. Repent is a wonderful word. Do you know what repent actually means? Yeah, it literally means to turn around. Simply to change direction. And the Hebrew usage of it implies an accompanying sigh like some sort of regret in the midst of change. So picture yourself in the car driving on the highway. Okay, you've got some music cranked. You've just refilled the car and your snacks, right? You're locked in, cruise control is set, life is good. That is until you pass through a town that you had been in just a couple of hours ago. Yeah, that's right, you're going the wrong way. Well, repentance is that sigh of disappointment that you let out as you turn the car around and begin to move in the right direction. That's repentance. It's a realization that you've been going the wrong way, coupled with the restorative action that corrects your course. It's simply turning around. So repentance is not simply feeling guilty or being judged. Repentance is not simply a a realization of your errors. Repentance is the act of responding to those prompts by doing something about it. And here, what we see in the case of Abram is a clear example of repentance. He literally and figuratively changes course. He had been walking away from God, trusting in himself, directing his own plans, and yet he turns around and places his trust in God once again. And what makes repentance such a wonderful word for all of us is that it is possible, right? No matter how far any of us have gone in the wrong direction, God is always there waiting for us when we turn around. He forgives us for leaving him and going our own way. He forgives us for the damage that we've caused on the journey, and he invites us to walk with him in the right direction with no condemnation, only pure acceptance. The pages of Scripture are covered with this truth, with this invitation. Joel 2.13 says, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Turn around, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love 
and he relents over disaster. Isaiah 55, 6 to 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Turn around and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, turn around. He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, turn around, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Proverbs 28.13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them, turns around, will obtain mercy. Church, I could go on and on and on. There are dozens more verses like this. It's abundantly clear in the scriptures that God receives and forgives those who turn towards him. The good news in the scriptures, church, is that repentance is a thing. It is an option for us. We are not stuck or destined to go the wrong way forever. We are not a lost cause. We are not abandoned. None of us have made an irrevocable mistake. We are all invited to turn around and be accepted by a loving God who is there waiting for us. Repentance is a wonderful word. As commentator James Montgomery Boyce says, the devil will tell us that we have sinned and can never go back. But God is the God of new beginnings. Someone has said that he is the God of the second chance, but he is even more gracious than this. He's the God not merely of the second chance, but of the 72nd chance or the 172nd chance or whatever. I'm not sure where you are at today. If you're far from God or if you have been going your own way, Friends, no matter where you are, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done or how often you've done it, no matter the regret or the shame, you are invited to simply turn around. It's that easy. Look at our text. Abram has done nothing to make up for his mistakes in Egypt. He's done nothing to earn God's favor. He's done nothing to prove himself to God all he did was turn around and found God waiting with open arms, waiting to walk with him in the right direction. Repentance is not a demand. It's an invitation from a gracious God. Repentance is not judgment. It is a gift given so that we can avoid judgment when that day comes. Friends, my hope is that we will all if we haven't already, embrace that gift. Respond to the invitation and simply turn around to walk side by side with our loving and gracious Savior. Well, just to make sure that we know the sincerity of Abram's repentance, the text tells us that when he finally does land back in Bethel, he assumes his previous practice of calling on the name of the Lord. Verse 3 and 4. Abram came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. We find Abram back where he started. 
Do you remember how we defined Abram's disobedience last week? Right? Abram stopped listening. He stopped believing and he stopped worshiping. Remember that? Well, here, what do we see? We see him believing again. As he comes to God in worship again. Asking God to speak so he can listen again. God is restoring Abram back into right relationship and rightful purpose. We see repentance here. Okay, so our text lets us know that Abram is is back in right relationship with God. And he sets up to live in the place where God had originally called him. And it's here where Abram faces his second spiritual test. Now, before we unpack those details, our passage first provides a little bit of context. Verse 5. It says, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. So for those of you who have been tracking with us for the past few weeks, you already know that Lot is Abram's orphaned nephew, right? The son of Abram's brother Haran, who passed away while the family was still living in Ur. And when Abram traveled into Canaan, Lot is the only named member of Abram's extended family who traveled with Abram the entire way, even on this latest journey to and from Egypt. And here our text tells us that while Abram's wealth had been expanding, as he added flocks and herds and servants, so too was Lot's. Lot's possessions too had increased And as a result, conflict began to arise between the two families, verse 6 and 7. The land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and lots. The Canaanites, the Perizzites, were also living in the land at the time. See, as Abram's... And Lot's herds and flocks grew, and due to the fact that there were others in the land already, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, there was not enough space to go around. And their herdsmen began to fight and quarrel with one another over the best grazing spots. And in this, Abram faces a new kind of test, prosperity. Did you pick up on that? Their trial here, the big struggle, their conflict is because of their material blessing. So often we think that material wealth or financial comfort would be or should be the solution to our struggles, the end of our trials. But we see here that success can be just as big of an issue for our faith as failure or difficulty. The account in Mark 10 comes to mind, doesn't it? Where the rich young ruler could not follow God because he had too much to give up. Well, in verse 2, we read the description of Abram's wealth coming out of Egypt. It says, Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. Now, there's something interesting in the original language of this text. You see, the word translated as wealthy here is actually a Hebrew word meaning heavy or heaviness. And so the text is really saying he became heavy with livestock. And the reason that this is notable 
is because in chapter 12, the first trial that Abram faced, the famine, is described with this very same word to accentuate its severity. When Genesis 12.10 describes the famine saying it was severe, it's using the same Hebrew word, heavy, that's used to describe Abram's wealth. And so in reading this original text, readers would be prompted to notice that both feast and famine, plenty and want, are both heavy things to carry and provide testing of our faith and allegiance to God. As Jesus would say many years later in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And each of us, at some point or another, needs to make that difficult choice of who we will serve. Well, Abram, I'm happy to say, passes this test much better than he did when it came to the heaviness of famine. Realizing that if both he and Lot were going to thrive, they needed to go their own ways, Abram offers Lot first choice about what land he would like to claim. Verse 8 and 9. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Actually, it says we are brothers in the original text. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now notice, church, how significant this act of Abram is. First of all, this is a patriarchal society, right? And decisions like this were always delegated to the elder, which would be Uncle Abram over nephew Lot. And secondly, Lot wouldn't even be here if it weren't for Abram taking care of him and leading him into the promised land. So why would he get the best choice of land? Well, what Abram is showing us is that he's learned something. It is not choice land that will provide for Abram. It is not being close to a particular people that will provide for Abram. It is God who will provide for Abram. Abram has come to learn that if God is with him, any land will be fruitful. And so he gives Lot the choice because it really doesn't matter where in the land God has promised that he settles. In this moment, we see Abram's faith allowing him to be generous. And friends, those two are always connected. Those who have faith are generous because they trust God and not in what they have. Well, verse 8 and 9, if verse 8 and 9 tell us about where Abram's heart is in this moment, verse 10 and 11 tell us about Lot's. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. So a couple notes here. First of all, how is it that Lot makes his decision? With his eyes. He looked around and saw. And what was he looking for? Something that resembled 
Egypt. Right? He wanted an area that was well watered like he had seen in Egypt. And the area he, that, that he saw to the southeast was well watered with streams and brooks and springs, which would ensure good land for growing and grazing. Now, comparatively, in the other direction, the land that Abram stayed in, the the other land Lot would have seen as he looked around, was not itself well watered. And living there would have necessitated a deep dependence on God for the provision of rain in order to make that land fruitful. You see what's happening here? In the same way that Abram placed his trust in man last week in Egypt, Lot is turning his Trust to the land, assuming that if he's just in the right place, on the right spot, his blessing would be assured. Why trust in God, which he cannot see, when he can trust in what he can see, that which is certain, that which is right in front of him? Why pray for rain when there are streams and brooks? Sounds quite familiar to Some contemporary arguments I hear all the time for not trusting in God, for living by sight and not by faith. Well, verse 11 to 13 tells us that the two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now, when we're given this, inf- <coughs> this information, we begin to see more to the story regarding Lot. You see, verse 12 implies not just that Lot left Abram's company, but that he left Canaan completely. Did you notice that? Abram, the text says, stayed in Canaan while Lot left the promised land. In search of present prosperity, Lot leaves the land of future promise. Looking for that next great spring or brook or piece of land, he found himself leaving the very land that God had promised to them. But not only that, perhaps most importantly, we see that Lot, when he leaves the company of Abram, as he decides where to stay, as he walks around and figures out exactly where he's going to set up, ends up settling among other peoples, namely that of Sodom and Gomorrah, as we'll see next week, who even by this time are known for their wickedness. Now here we could probably insert a whole sermon on choosing our friends wisely, but we don't have time for that this morning. But think about this with me. Why did Abram and Lot part company? To spread out, right? To to find land for their animals to graze. And yet Lot finds himself nestling up against more people again. Why? Well, I think in part because other people provide security. In the same way that Abram went down to Egypt, Lot goes east to Sodom, putting his trust in their fertile land and perhaps even in their strong armies, even though they're enemies of the one true God. Now, we could go off on a whole bunch of tangents there, but we need to move on. So that's where we'll leave Lot today. But to summarize the next few chapters... Lot's decision doesn't prove to be a fruitful one. And just like we saw Abram face consequences in Egypt, Lot will face significant consequences in Sodom. 
But for the rest of our time together this morning, I, I want us to unpack the interaction between God and Abram that, that brings us to the end of the chapter. So with Lot gone, the Lord doubles down on his promises to Abram. Right? God here reminds Abram that his promises are still in effect Nothing has changed coming out of Egypt. Nothing has changed with Lot's departure. God's word still endures. His promises will prevail. And friends, that's something that we can take heart in too. While our circumstances change, at times very rapidly, God's word, God's will, God's sovereignty, God's character does not change. He says so himself in Malachi 3, 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. James 1, 17 agrees, the father of the heavenly lights does not change. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, God the Son, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. May we, church, know that our God is constant and consistent. He is immovable. He is faithful. He is God. Alpha, Omega, the one who was and is and is to come. We can trust in him and his word and in his promises, no matter what our eyes may tell us. Well, for Abram, God verbalizes this truth, reiterating the covenant promises to him, starting with the land promise, verse 14 and 15. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east and west, all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. God says, okay, Lot had his look and chose the land he wanted himself to have. Well, I am telling you also, take a look for yourself so I can show you the land I I want you to have. Abram, God says, you don't have to worry about anything. Don't worry about fertile land. Don't worry about powerful neighbors. A day is coming when all of the land will be yours, including the most fertile. And your people will be the nation that others run to for help and for protection which is a reiteration of the second and third of the covenant promises, a name and a people, which God emphasizes again in verse 16. He says, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Church, that's a lot of people. Like the dust of the earth, even like the dust of my garage would be quite the promise. But God tells Abram that his descendants will be innumerable. A few weeks ago, we discussed how God has fulfilled and is continuing to fulfill this promise with nearly half of the world's current population today still attributing their ancestry to Abram. But in all of this, just as he did with the land promise, God reminded Abram that the game was still on. The promise was still in effect. Nothing had changed because he, God, is faithful. Well, our text ends with two events. The first unique and the second encouraging. Verse 17. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. 
which upon first glance sounds like a really unwelcome errand, especially for those of us who are averse to walking long distances. But God here is telling Abram to walk as far as he can see in every direction. That's quite the journey, isn't it? That's not a short trip. It's not a little jaunt. This is a significant task. But what God is doing here is getting Abram to signify symbolically his legal acquisition of this land. Right? Not unlike a dog marking its territory, traveling the length and breadth of this land was God's way of Abram marking the territory that would be for him and his descendants. And as he traveled through the land, Abram would have seen all that God was giving him and would have also provided an opportunity for him to decide where he would set up his tents. Verse 18. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. So after this long scouting journey, Abram decides to settle at the Lord's prompting at Hebron. You can tell what one it is. It's the red circle and the big word there. And Hebron becomes sort of a de facto origin spot for the nation God was creating. And this would become Abram's default home for the rest of his life. As we'll read later on in Genesis, Abram and Sarai, Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob and Leah are all eventually buried here at Hebron, their home. Well, as our text finishes up, we see what Abram does once they settle in Hebron. Verse 18 says that he built an altar to the Lord. Abram, upon returning from seeing everything the Lord had promised him, offers the appropriate response to God's renewed promises. He worships. And what we see here is the text coming full circle. What started with worship, verse 4, ends here with worship, verse 18. Right? This account begins and ends with Abram at the altar. At the beginning when things were uncertain, with the shame and embarrassment of Egypt still lingering, with internal conflict abounding, we find Abram at the altar. And at the end, when he finds himself satisfied with the promise of God renewed and a place to call his own, we too find Abram at the altar. What an appropriate ending and encouragement for us on this Thanksgiving weekend to find ourselves at the altar in any and every circumstance, to come before the Lord in worship and thanksgiving no matter what. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. No matter where you are journeying from this morning, my prayer is that your destination will be the presence of the Lord. If you've just come out of Egypt with your tail between your legs in repentance, come with thanksgiving before the Lord. If you're finally settling in the place that God has given you, come with thanksgiving before the Lord. 
If you are feasting, if you are fasting, or if you are facing famine, come with thanksgiving before the Lord. Not because of your circumstances, but because of the one who is above every circumstance, who does not change, who does not leave. Because he invites us to turn and to come and to worship. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us to be people who come to you in everything. Help us to be people who, whose faith overrides our doubt, whose faith um, increases our generosity, whose faith draws us to you. But God, today we do want to thank you. And no matter uh, what circumstances are recommended in this room, Lord, we all thank you. Not because of our circumstances, but because of who you are. We thank you that you are consistent, that you are true, that you are faithful, and that your promises will endure. Amen. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca or on social media at at grantmemorialchurch.com.